Welcome to our first ever Future Farming and Countryside Programme podcast. Um, and the reason we're doing this is because we in the programme have loads of really fascinating conversations with farmers. And I know from talking to farmers that the people farmers really want to hear from is other farmers. So we thought we'd share some of the conversations that we're having. And we're going to start today with the first farmer I met in my role as programme director as Future Farming and Countryside programme, Neil Heseltine from the Yorkshire Dales, who met me along with Rob Hodgkins back last summer when I was very first in my role. And I found myself referring back to that conversation loads of times since. Um, and I always really enjoy talking to Neil. So we, Neil has very kindly agreed to come on today and be our first guest on this series of podcasts. So welcome, Neil. Thank you, Janet. And I'm honoured eh, to be here as your guinea pig today. But also, I didn't realise I was the first farmer and with Rob that you met back in the summer. Yeah. I, I remember it well, eh, because speaking to you is always a pleasure but uh, it was also my birthday oh you didn't say that at the time <laughs> i kept it quiet what a way to spend your birthday talking to me and more about <laughs> farming well it was a great conversation i really enjoyed it so i hope you did too and then um, i wanted yeah, to definitely. i wanted to ask you because you've you've had a really interesting journey haven't you over the last few years in your in the way that you do your farming and i wanted to ask you to tell us just about what got you started with changing your practices in the way that you farm? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, really, Janet, because um, I regularly just go back to sort of 2012, 2013 has been a bit of a defining time. But actually now when we look back and we think back, we actually think it goes back further than that. And I won't go through the whole process, obviously, but we, we got involved with the Limestone Country Project back in 2003, 2004, and that was a conservation grazing project. Uh, that was delivered by the Yorkshire National Park. And that was about encouraging cattle and native breeds of cattle back onto the hills um, to, because it was found that the the sheep grazing, which had, had occurred quite a lot in the previous five, ten years, had actually started to change the flora and fauna on those limestone pastures. So cattle were encouraged back onto the hills and we got some belted galloways as a result of that. And when we look back now, we actually think that that was a defining time for us because it, it we got involved within the conservation grazing scheme. It That led into the HLS schemes and then more laterally into countryside stewardship scheme. But what it also did, it completely changed our outlook and our philosophy to how we farmed and, and took us down a route of farming much more with nature than we'd ever even considered before. So, so it, it was probably that involvement in Limestone Country Project you know, sort of 15 to 18 years ago that was so important to us and, and the journey we took. That's really fascinating because it's often, often when I talk to farmers, it's one thing that just gets you started and then you really get into it from there. Lots of farmers I talk to who are using agroecology or regenerative type practices have a similar story. Is that, do you meet farmers, a lot of farmers with the same sort of experience as you as kind of almost by accident coming into this way of operating? Yeah, we do. And it's amazing that exactly as you say, it's sort of one thing or, or, or one event uh, that just changes the, the mindset. And, and actually, as we've gone through the journey, if that's what I want to call it, it, it's the mindset that is a particularly important thing. But there just seems to be events in people's lives that they didn't really realise was happening at the time. But when they look back, it's been so influential in, in like I say, the, the journey that they've taken, but also the philosophy and the mindset that they've taken forward from there. Mm. And so what's different on your farm now compared to that time? What would we see that's different and what are you doing that's different on your farm now? 
Yeah, it's it's a good question because um, when you look at regenerative practices, there are quite a lot of grazing regimes that, which are quite different. And if you came to our farm, you wouldn't necessarily see those sort of all singing, all dancing sort of grazing regimes. Fundamentally, what we've done is we've reduced sheep numbers and we've increased cattle numbers over the last sort of those that period of time. But we just look much more at how we're grazing the hills and the and the fields that we have, and how we can change how we graze those fields to actually uh, benefit nature. To look at the sort of carbon that we're using on the farm, um, and just try and promote biodiversity as much as we can and work within natural processes and and that is now uppermost in our mind when we're making decisions on the farm it's very much about how will that impact upon nature and can we do something different that will benefit nature to a greater degree and what do you say sometimes farmers ask me questions which are along the lines of well we've got to produce food so that's that's what we've got to do and we've got to choose between producing food and looking after nature and then and I'm interested in your view about do you, do you think that do you think that's a choice that you have to make or can you do both at the same time in your experience or, or what? Uh, I, I think the fact that you use the word choice is really interesting for us. That it, it isn't a choice. It's it's very much it's very much a joint initiative, and uh, it's about producing food, which in our in our case is sheep and beef or meat, red meat basically. But it's how we produce that meat in a way, as I say, that respects natural processes but benefits nature at the same time. So for us, it's been a complete uh, symbiotic relationship. It's been about promoting nature but at the same time producing as healthy a food as we possibly can. And an actual fact, we, we think we've produced healthy food. We think we've produced or given nature an opportunity but that's actually benefited the business perspective as well and we feel that we're much better off not only financially but we actually feel that we're better off uh, in our sort of work-life balance as well so you know we think there's sort of been four wins from it rather than just a win-win. Why is that why is it benefiting both your profits and your and the kind of quality of what you're producing and nature? Having we, we essentially overall have less stock on the farm and that's allowed us to manage the land in a way which is which allows areas of the farm to develop its biodiversity at the critical times of the year which is which is spring and summer um but what we've done within the business is decimated costs uh, we used to rely very much on boating concentrates we used to send sheep away to winter we used to buy very high value pedigree sheep <laughs> which were um that was never a good move for us personally um but um the reduction of those costs so although our output was less the reduction in cost was greater so the actual margin ended up being greater as well so so um you know we feel that that just benefited the business well we know that that benefited the business at the same time yeah and when I was really struck when we spoke about how you how you felt it, it just benefited your quality of life as well because you weren't having to work such long hours or do so many different things on the farm. Yeah, you know when you look at it, that's probably the most important thing. Obviously, climate change and nature recovery is critically important, and making a living and running a business is critically important. But when you look at it from a personal or social perspective, that's probably the most important thing. Uh, Violet, our daughter, came along in 2013, and there's no doubt that I've been able to spend more time within her life um, 
than I would have done how I was farming previously, and that's that's critically important. I, th- I think Lee at the moment would would prefer I was spending a bit more time with the homeschooling than I currently am. But uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably not the only person in the country in that finding themselves in that sort of dilemma at the moment. There's a lot there. We're we're certainly finding that in the office here. Well, not in the office in yeah. our in our homes. One thing that really yeah, fascinates me is when you start out working in these new ways and you're trying out different things. Where do you go for information that you can trust about what to do and what's likely to work? It's a good question in that at the time it was a very much sort of just feeling our way very much, certainly with the, because we outwinter all our cattle and we were guided at the time by obviously the prescriptions within the Limestone Country Project and that, as I say, rolled over into HLS. So you're guided by those, those kind of principles, but we were very much feeling our way and we've learned a lot of things over the years as to how we best manage cattle to outwinter them. But we also feel that the cattle have taught us a lot of things as well. Um in how they behave and how they act when they're allowed to express their natural behavior. And actually to see that process has been fascinating. Um, But the other defining time for us was we got involved with the Pasture-Fed Livestock Association in 2012. That led to us um, going to the Oxford Real Farming Conference in very early in 2013. And those two events were were critical, not only because you've got an organization which is, is there to sort of help you and give you advice but we've really really what we realized were there were other people out there looking and thinking along the similar lines to what we were and and prior to that we felt a little bit um i won't say lonely but a little bit alone in in our sort of thinking but that that gave us the sort of the the impetus to be able to kick on with it and say yeah no there are other people thinking like this and and if we if then we needed any support we could go to the pfla or rfc or people who were associated with that so that was the that's why we always think of that as being the other defining time i'm really fascinated by the kind of community aspect of this and the kind of different events and discussion groups and, and connection are you seeing much more of that happening now some farmers say to me there's much more kind of there's a bit of a growing movement around these ways of working and it's easier now to find people doing the same stuff are you do you find that yeah i I think it is um you know there are not only are there more groups cropping up um you know we're also involved with the nature friendly farming network we we obviously we're in the national park we still go to them for information um there's and there's lots of them the regenerative agriculture sort of facebook groups and this sort of thing but the technology is there to be able to support that as well there are facebook groups there's twitter there's um instagram we use all those heavily within the business uh but also at the at the moment there's the virtual meetings of the webinars going on and you can almost go to an agricultural webinar every night of the week if you like and we do watch those and and they're an incredible way to learn and just to experience what other people are experiencing literally from all over the world and that's just just such a amazing font of knowledge to be able to dip into and and it's this sort of unfortunately the pandemic that's brought that about but it's uh it's i guess that's one of the positives of where we're at, at the moment yeah I've, I've been really enjoying that and i i particularly enjoy it that you can have people from all over the country dialing into something where normally it would have been really difficult to get that mix of people there we've had a few events in the program where yeah we've had farmers from all over the place all talking to each other in a way we just never would have been able to pull off normally it's fantastic no absolutely and and I think I've commented on one of your meetings in the past, Janet, where it was probably one of the most dynamic meetings I've been involved with. It was only an hour. Um, yeah. It was all obviously virtual. You used quite a lot of the sort of um, little things, technical 
technological advances to, yeah. to garner people's opinions within a meeting like that. So instead of sort of 12 people sat around a table, you had 60 people, all of whom were able to contribute to that meeting in, in about five different ways, I think you used yeah, that day. Yeah. And that, that just would never have been possible before. But it, it allows every every type of person to be able to contribute. Even, you know, the introvert yeah. people who aren't necessarily there to, to stand up and say the piece, they still were able to contribute to that meeting. And I think that was a really sort of powerful meeting and, and really interesting that that sort of thing has developed over the last year. Yeah, I I, I, re I know exactly the one you're talking about. It was brilliant. It was about regulation and enforcement. And we got such a diverse bunch of people from different bits of the country yeah. and different different elements of the different parts of the industry and we could do in an hour what it would normally take us three months to do in government because we'd publish a consultation document and wait for everyone to write to us yeah. and we found out just in that one hour we did three of them and we found out more in that hour actually than we would have done from a consultation i think that's one of the things we really want to take with us after lockdown into whatever our new yeah. ways of working are afterwards i think yeah. no absolutely yeah can we go back to the thing about natural processes because i think this is really fascinating just to get into what sort of things are you are you thinking of when you say the animals are following their natural processes? What does that what does that yeah. mean in practical terms? We're talking about it at a good time of year, actually, and it's this time of year where where we start to understand how cattle behaved on different pieces of land. And, and just as an example of that, we have one field that's 180 acres. It's the highest field we have. Um, and in the early days of our wintering our cattle. We used to find it's it's almost split in two is this field, uh, limestone on one half and millstone grit on the other. For the geology people out there, we're on the Mid Craven Fault, which means there's a split in, in rock type, and I won't go into all that for you. But it just means that the farm has two different rock types, and this particular field has, and the the animals, whether it be for uh, sheep or cattle, they always favour the limestone side. And it's taken the cattle a long period of time to start to understand that they will graze the limestone side in the first half of the winter. And then it, they will start then moving on to the millstone grit, which is less palatable for them. But as food starts running on the, out on the limestone side, they then start moving on to the millstone grit side to, to the bits that they don't like quite as much, but they're almost forced into that area because they need to go foraging and finding things to eat. And and it was just and that that process has taken place over several years where they might you might see them on the millstone grit side a, a little bit, but over the years they've got used to going to those areas in in bad weather. Uh, you know they'll go to where the rushes are when the snow's on because because the the rushes sometimes are the only thing sticking out of the out of the top of the snow. So they go foraging in those areas and and just now sort of 15 years down down the line and we're getting a bit of bad weather now you see that activity to a much greater degree and it's almost like they've learned that at certain times of the year and certain weather conditions that's where they go to and just to see that develop has been fascinating that's really really fascinating it must be really rewarding and inspiring as well to see things playing out over that sort of time scale and see the animals adapting to what you're doing it is and it's been one of the joys of actually farming in this way is that you start to understand animal behaviour to a much greater degree than you would do if they were in a shed, for example, because you just put them in a shed, you muck them out, you put the feed in front of them, and that's pretty much what you do. Obviously, there's some stockmanship involved in that, but to start to see animals and how they do behave when they're given that 
ability to express their natural behaviour, like you say, it's just been really, really interesting. Really interesting. So having had all this experience over all these years, what can you think of one or two things that you really wish you'd known when you started out that you know now that someone's starting on the journey that you've been on? What, what, can, what could you tell them that you've learned over this period the hard way that you wish you'd known to, <laughs> at the beginning? I think one of the hard things we've learned is that there was a period of time that we farmed in a way that we felt we had to farm in because it was how we were expected to farm. You know, there was a certain amount of peer pressure and people around us when we first outwintered cattle thought that was a little bit odd and, and, and some still do. And just to overcome that peer pressure and that sort of standing, in, it's not standing in the community, but the sort of position in the community where you're doing something slightly different to what is expected of you has definitely been a tricky thing to get to get over. Um, but when we look back now, we just wish we'd made the changes earlier than we actually did. We just didn't believe enough in our own sort of the, the way that we wanted to go. We stuck to what we were expected to do for, for a little bit longer than we should have done. And, and if we'd looked at things more closely from a financial perspective and, and then had the courage of our conviction to go with it earlier, that's probably what we should have done, really. That's really hard, though, isn't it? I've met a few farmers who are trying to t- put in their toe in the water of some regenerative practices, doing things like mob grazing, for example, and your farm looks quite different quite quickly if you do those practices. And they they would say yeah. they've said, you know, the people all around them are just laughing at them, it's, and it's really hard to hold your nerve because you don't get immediate feedback. It takes you a few years to really show that that's going to work and really discover it's going to work. So, it's, it, what kept yeah, you yeah. going during that time? To, what kept you determined during the time when that was happening to you? I think for us, it was either either a case of keeping going, and and it is about taking that leap of faith and and the courage and your conviction, and and ultimately we had to kind of ask ourselves: Are, are we doing the right thing? We were starting to see improved biodiversity on the farm so a lot of the things that the sort of limestone country project hls were telling us we would see we're starting to see those so that, that was encouraging us um but we, we we either we just kind of felt and, and economically we felt things were going better but we just kind of felt we either stick with this or, or we sort of compromise who we are as people and what our beliefs are so we just had to sort of say you know let's stick with it and People are ready to jump on you and criticise you and and look at you and laugh at you over the fence, like you say. But things will go wrong. But you, if you've got courage in what you're doing and you've got conviction in what you're doing, then you've just got to stick to that. Be what you are. Make your own decisions and stick to it. Well, there's a lesson for life for anybody, not just farmers. I would say, yeah. definitely. I wanted to finish on asking you about what we're doing in the in the Future Farming and Countryside Program and your thoughts on that. So we're going to be closing looking after and then closing down our existing schemes introducing environmental land management doing some farming investment fund and other prosperity types of support changing the way we do regulation and enforcement which we're looking at quite a broad range of activities over the next seven years when you look at that set of things if you imagine ourselves seven years from now having a conversation and saying this has been fantastic it's gone way better than i ever could possibly have imagined well done team what would it need what would we need to have done by then what would it look like to you for us for you to be able to say to me in seven years time that has been fantastic and we've really knocked it out of the park and we've really done we've really done a good job what would that look like from your point of view i think as farmers and landowners or managers i think we're in an incredibly fortunate position um 
with where we're at in in globally at the moment with when you look at what society needs uh f- food first of all uh we need to find a, a solution in some form to climate change um we need to reverse um nature decline and nature collapse and 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 then to a potentially a lesser degree we need to um manage land so that there's less flood events which seem to be increasing at the moment and there are other things as well obviously air quality and and water quality which are things which you're included where i think we're incredibly lucky is that from farms we can we can contribute to all four or five or six of those and we can do them concurrently we can produce those if that's the right word uh, all at the same time and what and the route you're heading down at the moment means that we can be paid by the market for the food that we produce and hopefully that's incredibly healthy food for human consumption um but we're also potentially going to be paid for overcoming climate change you know ca- sequestering and capturing carbon or delivering habitats for nature or slowing down the rate of wa- water flow and so in terms for me and and I find that really exciting I find that like a as I look forward as a farmer, I'm thinking if I can deliver all four or five of those and I can get paid for each of those and I've got a fairly robust and a, and a sort of um, resilient business as a result of incomes coming from four or five different elements, then I, I think we can look back in seven years' time and say, what a fantastic thing that we're delivering as farmers, uh, which contribute to all these things which we need in society are incredibly important to society so not only does it deliver in terms of business but it gives an as an amazing amount of self-worth which is sadly lacking in farming at the moment we've taken a bit of a battering and in some cases that's been deserved but but we can we can now create farming we can make farming and with your help and defra's help and national parks help etc we can make that farming into an amazing industry and an industry that's relevant to to 21st century modern life that's so inspiring what a brilliant note to finish on Neil, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and your thoughts with us today. I'm sure others like me will just feel really inspired and energised by what you've had to say. And um, I, for one, will be going up to my allotment this weekend with an extra spring in my step having had this conversation. So thank you very much. Well, it's very kind of you to say so, Janet, and uh, I hope people find it interesting. Thanks very much to you for for asking me to come and speak to you in, in July last year. And uh, and to be your guinea pig has been an honour. Oh, thank you so much. Bye.